Hey, this is Daryl letting you know that if you don't already subscribe to The Athletic, you can subscribe today and get 40% off an annual subscription if you use the URL theathletic.com slash totalsoccer. Once subscribed, you'll be able to read articles like Paul Tenorio's interview with Tim Weyer and Meg Linehan's takeaways on the NWSL Challenge Cup. Once again, for 40% off an annual subscription, go to theathletic.com slash totalsoccer. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who loves to get things in his diary. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I I didn't know that, uh, but I do for about three days at a time and then I kind of forget that I was writing in a journal until the next time I do it about six months later. Well, the good news for you, Taylor, is you can plan all the way to the end of 2022. Thanks to CONCACAF and US Soccer and a couple of quotes from Greg Berhalter. We basically have a sort of US men's national team calendar for the next couple of years. Are you keeping that calendar? I am. Then I'm good. I am. I'll just wait for I'm... you to tell me that, hey, we have to do that thing. I've got it in a Google Doc. Perfect. Um, <laughs> here's a quick heads up on what mm-hmm. we know, right? This is what we know based on a CONCACAF release, um, a US soccer release, and some Greg Berhalter quotes. Um, World Cup qualifying. That's the big, the big picture one. World Cup qualifying will begin for the United States in June 2021 and the hexagonal will become an octagonal so imagine the hex but with eight teams the u.s will play 14 games seven home seven away in the final round of world cup qualifying june 2021 to march 2022 that's right it all sounds so far away it really does and yet it's not at the same time like we are (laughs) sort of almost halfway to a world cup so that's good yeah um, here's the other quick dates for your diary, Taylor. Um, according to Bearhalter, they're trying to get friendlies in the books for October and November. Um, but of course, safety comes first. So really, who knows? Um, March 2021, double circled in my diary. The Nations League comes back. It's the Nations League semifinals. It's the USA versus Honduras and Mexico versus Costa Rica. Tentatively scheduled, I believe, to be in Houston originally. We don't know if that's still going to be the case. We do not. Um, I like that you have yours double circled. I have mine half-heartedly circled. So like the loop isn't <laughs> fully closed. But I'm there with what, you. It is somewhat does, circled. What does a half-hearted circle look like? It's like, it's, like, it's like mostly closed, but you didn't really complete it. And it's not like the perfect circle or the perfect oval that you might go for otherwise when you're really trying to be detailed. <laughs> Perfect. It's like, nah, Perfect. okay, fine, I'll circle it. <laughs> um, what are the dates that people want? I guess, yeah, as I mentioned before, World Cup qualifying starts for the US June 2021. Mm-hmm. That same summer, there's also a Gold Cup in uh, uh, July 10th to August 1st, there's mm-hmm. a 2021 Gold Cup, and then maybe even the Olympics later in July if we have qualified. It's going to be a busy summer for the US men's national team. All of this has one giant asterisk over it, right? Coronavirus depending. Certainly. And and, and that is a thing that uh, Victor Montagliani, uh, if that is indeed how we pronounce his name, we're going to go with the sort of westernized pronunciation. Uh, I call as him indica- uh, CONCACAF Prez. CONCACAF Prez with a Z. Uh, basically, he did say that, right? He said, like, but... This is all with a grain of salt because you never know what's going to happen. And we might not yeah. be the only federation that has to or confederation that has to scramble to figure out how to get all these games in. Yes. But I've got to say, Taylor, I kind of like it. I think I like the new setup because I was a little worried about the U.S. going straight into World Cup qualifying um, later this fall. 
uh, without having had any more games to prepare. Like Tyler mm. Adams has still only played one game for Greg Bayalta. Um, if we don't start World Cup qualifying until June 2021, at least we'll have more time for uh, Tyler Adams, for example. I'm basically talking about Bayalta being able to have a full-strength team um, and implementing the positional play style of play. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a f- completely valid point, that normally we would have had games stretched over a much longer period of time, so you would have been able to sort of respond to the moments of like, oh, this player just scored four goals in this competition, or Gio Reyna starts making regular appearances, let's get him in. We haven't had that, so we haven't been able to have sort of that core, that group, as Berhalter likes to call them, and then a few players kind of coming and going within that squad. So having a bunch of games in a fairly sort of short order is both stressful in terms of how you fit all those in and is everybody going to be fit and what happens if three of your players happen to be injured but simultaneously you have more opportunities to bring in those new faces to make sure everybody feels involved and included and most importantly prepared for those key competitions and worth noting we have a nice build-up right assuming all goes to plan and we get to play these games you get friendlies in october november you maybe get a January camp. And then in March, instead of more friendlies, you get that Nations mm-hmm. League semi-final. So there's at least two games there because there'll be a third place playoff or a final. It'll be, doesn't matter how half-hearted your circle is, it'll be more competitive than a friendly, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a trophy on the line um, in March. That will, for me, will be a great warm-up for actual World Cup qualifying because you'll get to play a couple games with points on the line. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I am right there with you. I would say in discussing World Cup qualifying, I think it's important to remember that this, because, uh, you know, Qatar said they were going to do a thing and then they didn't do a thing. We will be having that one in November, December. So when you, when I first heard World Cup qualifying starts in June of 2021, I was like, wow, that is not a lot of time to get a lot of games <laughs> in. Not to say that like that additional three months or four months is that much longer, but it does give you at least another chunk of time to sort of stretch things out and make sure everything gets done in a timely manner. Yeah, worth noting. So what? It's the octagonal. So there's Mm -hmm. eight. There's, I think, three teams qualify automatically. And then there'll be that playoff for the fourth spot, right? Which we could or could not win, Mm -hmm. right? CONCACAF may not win that spot. That playoff is in June 2022, which normally would have been when the World Cup was kicking off. Instead, I think it is is still if the... The like vestige of the old plan is still accurate. Uh, that game will probably happen after the draw has already taken place, is my assumption. Yes. We'll just yep. have to wait and see who ends up winning it. Yeah, I want to say the draw is in April or so. There we are. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have sort of a U.S. soccer calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you feel like everybody understands it? Everybody knows what it is? Yeah. Um, ready to move on to some questions? If not, you oh, should just share your, your calendar with all the circles. <laughs> I, will, I will do that. Oh, there is one, sorry, one final thing I think is worth noting is Bearhalter made very clear that because there's World Cup qualifying in June, the Gold Cup in July, and then possibly the Olympics later in July, we're essentially going to have three different US national team squads um, in, that, in that couple of months spell, right? And the strongest team will be the World Cup qualifying team. Yeah. That means a lot of opportunities for a lot of players. If they're going to be three, probably a little bit overlapping, but three essentially different U.S. national team squads, a World Cup qualifying squad, a Gold Cup squad, and a U23 Olympic squad. Yeah, it's like, it's like A, B, and Junior is essentially how I have it in my head. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it means if there's a player that you've been longing to see, he'll probably get a game. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> in some competition, in some format, with some combination of other players around them. Yes. <laughs> But we did have questions about this whole new format, mm-hmm. right? And the first one today comes from James Chucker. Today's first question. Um, James Chucker says, wait, CONCACAF reformatted their World Cup qualifiers in response to the COVID pandemic, and it involves more teams. How confident are you that CONCACAF can execute the competition format they detailed this 
week. So it's not just the octagonal, right? This is all the other teams in CONCACAF, or a lot of the other teams in CONCACAF, are going to play a load more games even before we get to the octagonal. Mm-hmm. Can, we, can we start with the it involving more teams for a moment? We've already yes. kind of talked about that, but I would like to focus in on that for a second, because that, to me, is the more important thing than the whatever becomes the final schedule. And that might sound crazy, but I think... If you are CONCACAF and your stated objective, aside from, you know, taking bribes and whatnot, is hey, sort of helping... Allegedly, de- <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Uh, if, if it is sort of helping develop, like, the game in your federation with all the different countries that are involved, you want to keep as many teams involved as you can. And sort of the initial plan of, all right, well, these are the teams that are top ranked. They go straight to the hex, and that's how it's going to be. You are effectively removing... Many, many, many teams from the equation that I don't think would necessarily be fair. Not to say that this format really works all that well, but I will, or in terms of like makes it any more likely that one of those smaller teams actually makes it to a World Cup. But I really like the quote from Kakikev Prez with a Z. Uh, all teams now have the chance to compete for direct access to Qatar 2022 and dream of playing at a World Cup. While we also uh, have respected the positions of those nations which have already or had mathemat- had already mathematically qualified for the f- final round under the previous system. That was a more difficult quote than I expected, but it's the gist is there. It's you keep everybody involved, but you still do reward the teams that have done enough to be in a stronger position. Yeah, so for those who don't know, essentially the top five teams, the top five ranked teams, which obviously includes the the US, automatically go to the octagonal, right, mm-hmm. which is the final round. So five of the eight places are already taken up. The final three places in the octagonal, which is the final round where you get to try and qualify for the World Cup, will be decided amongst essentially 30 teams, right? They'll be into six groups of five. You have to win that group. Then you have to have a playoff. So from that, from those 30 teams, you get three teams Mm -hmm. that can go to the octagonal. But it does mean if you're like um, one of the lower-ish ranked teams who are trying to get in the hex, like say Canada uh, last time, because of the coronavirus pandemic, you were denied the chance to earn more FIFA ranking points, Mm -hmm. right? Because no games, no action happened around the world. This gives you that chance to earn your way into the octagonal. So I think, I'm pretty sure this is why they've changed the whole setup, right? Mm -hmm. The reason it involves more teams total and the reason it involves more teams in the final round, an octagonal instead of a hex, is to give the entirety of CONCACAF a chance to qualify for the World Cup um, which they were denied by the the lack of games um, because of the coronavirus pandemic. Do you think if you're asking from a like general perspective, I know you would never get an actual answer, but do you think CONCACAF, the leadership of CONCACAF, would most like it if some combination of the United States, Mexico, and Canada went, since that will be the three countries that are then hosting the 2026 World Cup? Do you think they care if Canada have been to a World Cup recently before hosting one? I think probably the current CONCACAF press would because yep. he's Canadian, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm not, sure, I'm not saying he's like rigging it in, t- in favor of Canada, but I just no. think naturally um, he's going to prefer Canada. But if you take that outside of the equation, maybe just as a bigger media market, it might be better for Canada to make it. So maybe, maybe if they go to the, the playoff and then qualify that way and then you still get one other sort of Central American team in there, most likely, yeah. then yeah, maybe, maybe they're good with that. Three and a half teams. Let's make that happen. What do we make, before we answer James's question about sure. uh, how confident are you that CONCACAF can actually execute this competition format they detailed, um, as a US fan, do you think it's better or worse to be in an eight-team tournament versus a six-team tournament? I have strong feelings about this, but I want to ask yours first. 
Hmm. I, I honestly do not have strong feelings. I think I like it more just because I think for what we've talked about, it does give you time to sort of get team players back up to the speed of things, kind of back in camp, and they have a few friendlies ideally to sort of get on the same page to remember what's being asked of them and to kind of be in the same system. To I'm not so much asking about the, uh, the pushing it back in the calendar. I'm asking mm-hmm. about essentially playing um, 14 games instead of playing 10 games. Yeah, I have no strong opinion, so I'd like to okay. hear yours. My my feeling really strongly is that more games is better for the US because there's more margin for error. Yeah, that like makes you sense. Could, you could make a couple of mistakes like we did last time round and probably still get away with it because there's more games for things to even out over time. If you if you accept that the US is one of the, the top three strongest nations in CONCACAF, um, then it should mean that the more games are played, the more likely it is that the table reflects that reality you know what i'm saying i do and i and i don't i don't disagree i would say i think this somewhat relates but isn't a direct answer i will just say that i think i'm okay with it provided we don't take the sort of there's a formula to this approach that i think we have in past attempts to qualify the most recent one being the most obvious that it's sort of that like you win at home you go for the point on the road because those are always going to be harder that usually gives you enough points to qualify i would just much rather they go out and try to win every single game because it makes more sense to i mean winning one game on the road by that math is the same as drawing three on the road so to me it makes more sense to try to win one than draw three i agree i agree because that especially that that formula falls apart when you start losing two games at home right? well there's you that. Lose to mexico at home <laughs> yeah, you exactly. to costa rica at home <laughs> suddenly things are very very wobbly did you all not know the plan costa rica and mexico because <laughs> this is how it's supposed to work you all are supposed to abide <laughs> you're supposed to at best draw here yes <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's something that was actually said at some point. <laughs> it also, it will give all these, um, you know, we do have a young core of US men's national team players. It will pretty much make sure that that young core gets to have that, I'm going to call it the hex away experience, even though it's the octagonal away experience. There are just more shots at playing in those away games, right? One like, thing, where, Weston McKinney can't miss out on a trip to Central America. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. I'm sure he'll, he, maybe he'll endeavor to find a way if he's being over, overly I, utilized I at I think he'll be magnificent. He is the type of player I would love to take to Central America for a battle. I am agree. Uh, yeah. One thing I, I haven't really read anything about and am completely speculating on, I don't know if FIFA will sort of do any temporary roster adjustments so that if you are having to play more games in, in a condensed time period... I do wonder if maybe they'll give you 25-player rosters for qualifying or something like that. I feel mm. like that would be a big change. But also that would be really exciting because you would then – we have seen situations in which coaches will call in players that aren't like officially in the squad, in the roster, but they want them yeah, there for yeah. training purposes. And I like the idea of getting a couple more people in to give them that experience officially. And then if they do perform, maybe they get 10 or 15 minutes at yeah. the end of one of those games. I think that's how like Brendan Aronson or mm-hmm. Paxson Pomacal could sneak onto a yep. full roster, right? In that in that type of situation, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to roll the dice on if uh let's say Brian Keo comes in and has like a really, really strong start and you want to just see how he does, but also have that opportunity to maybe give him that debut without feeling like you're giving up a spot, that's another way that could happen. All right. Not um, saying it will happen, because that would require FIFA to do things, but you never know. So, yeah, you mentioned in the roster sizes reminded me that we haven't had any international football, right? We don't know what any of this is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that gets us to the second part of James's question. How confident are you that CONCACAF can execute the competition format they detailed this week? I I am 
fairly confident they will be able to. Uh, I also think that when you answer this question or think about this question, it's important to continue to go back to COVID-19 is going to make everybody have to be flexible, including fans. We will have to be okay with late adjustments or things kind of changing on the fly. I won't be surprised if this plan changes and then changes again. I don't think that that is particularly silly if CONCACAF have to do that. I think it's them adjusting to the reality of the situation. But I also think that they're a large enough organization that they needed to get a plan out there so it feels like things are moving forward, but simultaneously aren't foolish enough to just be like, here's this grandiose idea for playing international games outside of the window whenever we need to. Like it, 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 It is a feasible plan to me, albeit one that could easily run into chaos. Everything hinges on coronavirus. Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. if things get worse and worse, then scheduling this many games... Like, initially, I was shocked that the Hex expanded to an octagonal. I thought that made no sense at all. But now I understand that it makes sense in light of uh, all these CONCACAF teams who want their shot at the World Cup, right? Mm. But scheduling this many games really does feel like... Like, maybe maybe we're hoping for a vaccine mm-hmm. or, we're, or we're just expecting that things will will go much better in the next year than they have in the past six months, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe you just have to have a certain level of optimism to schedule any soccer matches at this point. Let me ask you this then, Daryl. Let's say they sort of, like, things go south, they realize they cannot get everything done in the time frame that it's going to have to be even more condensed. How would you feel if they sort of kept the... The new format that they're providing, I almost have it as like three rounds. There's like the 30 remaining teams, then there's the playoff round, then there's that final round with the I mean, the octagon, you, if you will. You and CONCACAF have that as first round, second round, third round. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I always hesitate with the like elimination round versus playoff versus knockout. You never know. But anyway, uh, what if they did those first two rounds and then they announced that the third one with FIFA's blessing was going to have to be basically a tournament format? And you had those eight teams split into two groups and you had like sort of a knockout sort style competition or even you just played a bunch of round robin games in a three-week time period let's say how would you feel about that i mean honestly if it comes to it it might just have to be the way it is Mm -hmm. right i think i think coronavirus is such a an all-encompassing thing that you you can't just pretend it isn't happening much as some people might like to and it Mm -hmm. might force it might force certain situations that are like the just the best in a bad case scenario yeah um i made the strange decision recently to rewatch the matrix trilogy and there's a moment where the architect says to neo um there are acceptable levels of survival <laughs> right yeah <laughs> where there are you know there are there's a limited version of things that we're willing to go with just to make things work that, that may be what we get to can can we extend this matrix tangent for a moment or should we finish the question and then have that I, conversation i mean i can i can always go on a matrix tangent can I just tell you, I have mentioned uh, the Blank Check podcast to you before. I have talked about it on the show before. You should listen to their Matrix episodes because it will make you really enjoy the second and third ones all the Taylor, more. Taylor, Taylor, Taylor. Uh-huh. Why do you think I was motivated to go? There we go. There we go. Did you find the thing about him having to fight Ghost being fascinating? That it's essentially the, like, make sure you're not a robot program? Because that blew my mind. No, I must have missed that part. Uh, so you remember when he has to like fight the fight ghost before he can go meet the oracle? Yes. That is essentially like the programming version of the like find the three stoplights in this photo. He has to prove that he is the one by like handling the rigors of that challenge to then go meet the oracle. Like moments like that where it's like, "Oh, so it's like a computer code." It's nuts, but I know that doesn't make sense to people. That's why you should listen to the like I think combined 9 hours of podcast probably that those guys <laughs> did about those three movies. Catch up on Total Soccer Show and MLS Assist first, though. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. 
Um, how about you? Do you think that if we have to, you know, there are levels of survival that are acceptable mm-hmm. um, situation, like, would you just go with it if we ended up with a weird, very, very condensed World Cup qualifying tournament? And with the inherent risk that, um, I, as I said, like with 14 games, there's more room for error for the US. With a condensed schedule, you know, we're one trip up against Canada from just being knocked out of World Cup qualifying at the, at the final round. I am normally the type of person, like, I was happy when, as a Man United fan, when Soyunju was suspended for that game. Like, I was really happy they didn't have their starting center back. Generally, I am that, like, yeah, we're playing that team when that player suspended. That means they're not going to be as good. In this case... I, I really don't care. As long as there is some sort of qualifying happening, even if it doesn't necessarily favor the United States, even if it's a more difficult route there, you got to beat who you beat. You got to be able to be competitive in a World Cup. And I think, regardless of how it happens, there will be some sort of some some form of qualify, qualification tournament. Whew, I am struggling to get those words out. <laughs> um, but I think whatever form that takes, I am okay with because it means that eventually we get to the World Cup, ideally. Ideally, mm-hmm. or we don't. Yeah, oh, but at least, I mean, right now it would feel like a small victory just for any sort of qualification process to happen. So, yes. <laughs> fingers crossed. Well, we started off real positive and yeah. I think I've, I've got us down to uh, we darken the skies levels here. I mean, that's uh, fine. Before, <laughs> before we move on, today's show is sponsored by Fubo, our friends at Fubo. Thank you to Fubo for sponsoring the Total Soccer Show. People will know by now that Taylor and I both use Fubo mm-hmm. to watch our soccer, right? We do. And... Our non-soccer. Uh, you know that I've become hooked on Alone, the, the show that is on Netflix and Hulu. The current season is on neither of those things, but you can stream it and DVR it, most importantly, uh, via Fubo. And that is how I've been watching that program. And with the family plan and 500 hours of DVR storage, you can, I think, record more than just that one season for sure. Something I think that's really important to note about the family plan. Mm-hmm. Um, three people yep. can watch Fubo at once on the family plan. You can watch it in different locations. Mm-hmm. And as far as I understand, you don't have to prove that you're related. You do not, as far as I understand. <laughs> no. You get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying, Daryl, and I'm <laughs> guessing our listeners do as well. Um, another great thing about Fubo, um, when you, you know, for, for the soccer package, it's designed for soccer, essentially, right? Um, we know ESPN is coming, so that's exciting. But always, Today NA has been there. And Today NA, um, unlike Turner and CBS... Today NA have not been deciding back and forth on what to do with the Champions League, right? If you want to watch the Champions League uh, both this August and next year, it will be on Today NA, and that is very much available via a Fubo package. Liga de Campeones. Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I enjoy that your. I can tell that you've been utilizing that network because your pronunciation of it has improved remarkably since we first <laughs> mentioned them on this show. I think we've gone from T-U-D-N to Tudane. Is that what you're going with? <laughs> it sure is. All right. Um, you can also get a seven-day free trial. If you go to fubo.tv slash TSS, that's fubo.tv slash TSS, you get a seven-day free trial that you will not regret. That is fubo.tv slash TSS to start your free trial today. Uh, worth noting, Daryl did negotiate. They wanted to only give us six and a half days. Daryl got him up to seven. I had to ask for 100 and negotiate that. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was a weird negotiation tactic. You went 100. <laughs> they went to seven. You went to two. They held firm on seven, and we agreed there. It's very complicated. It was. It was. Complicated. Only Daryl <laughs> understands the inner workings of that brain. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Jeremy DeVito, who I hope is related, but possibly isn't jeremy devito asks should Gio Reyna 
start for the U.S. men's national team at this moment? I like the boldness of this question. Sure. I have a much longer explanation, but my simplified version is I don't think he is where Christian Pulisic was when he started to be a regular starter for the national team. So I don't think he is yet ready for that role uh, as of now. Okay, I didn't factor Christian Pulisic into this because mm-hmm. I think all people are different people. Um, but, I disagree. But please, Everyone is the same. Please explain uh, like the Pulisic math on this and why think, yeah. why Pulisic was at, where Pulisic was at this stage and wasn't starting. Well, I think I think because that is where I go when it comes to very young players who sort of have established themselves to some degree. Pulisic is the standard. Obviously, the Dortmund connection doesn't hurt with that. But I went back and looked at sort of where he was in his timeline. And Reyna is somewhat comparable. They get their first, uh, like, the debut Bundesliga appearance is for both of them in January of their respective debut seasons. Uh, The first starts are around the same times as well. Uh, But really, it's the regularity of appearances is a little bit different. And with all that said, Pulisic at this time period becomes a sort of intermittent starter, an intermittent uh, substitute. We remember that from the Centenario where he's told to just go on and try stuff. And I think that was Pulisic at a stage in his career where that's where he was. He was good to kind of come on and, and try to have an impact, try to make something happen. And I sort of think that's where Gio Reyna is in my thinking as well, that he is a potential impact player. Hey, there are 10 minutes left and maybe we're up 3-0. Go in there and see out the game. Or maybe we're chasing a goal in a friendly. I want to see what you can do. But I don't think he is quite at the point where I want him just guaranteed a starting spot. He is definitely a starter no matter what. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Not for the same Pulisic calculation reasons, though I do understand mm-hmm. those, and they, they do make sense now you explain them. To take Jeremy's question really literally, right, the USMNT at this moment, like if mm-hmm. there was a game tomorrow, yep. I think I'd still feel more comfortable with a front three of like Josie, Pulisic, and probably Jordan Morris on the right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, And Drew Rainer would be in my squad 100%. He might even be the first attacking substitution if things are going wrong, because I think it would mix things up nicely but I'm with you like he hasn't Rainer for the amount of times we've sat down to watch him play at Dortmund he actually hasn't played that many games or that many minutes right yeah I think I'm incorrect in fact he's Uh, he's made oh sorry sorry, go ahead I was gonna say Pulisic gets his first start in the Bundesliga in February of his season Rainer doesn't get his until June so yeah there's a a little bit of a drop-off though that is probably coronavirus related more than anything else (laughs) yeah of course yeah yeah, because June is the new March basically of course um so uh, we have seen Reyna have a big impact um, against PSG with that mm-hmm. turn and dribble uh, from midfield where he sets up Haaland, I believe. We've seen him make impacts in Bundesliga games. We've seen him score in the DFB Pokal. So it's not as if he's just been playing five minutes here, five minutes there, right? Um, he, he just hasn't been consistently starting. So that's the reason I'm not willing to sort of put him straight into a US men's national team at this very moment. I would expect him to, you know, be involved in a friendly right about now, like get half an hour here or there. It wouldn't surprise me that a few months from now, if we played right now, a few months from now, he would be a starting U.S. national team player. Agreed. I think two things I'll, I'll say there. One, I think you you touched upon and was very wisely touched upon is the idea that, for lack of a better way of putting it, like others are ahead of him. And if we're talking about yeah. at this moment, if we have an important game to play. The core squad, that core group that Berhalter always references, they haven't played together in months. They have some familiarity because they've played together before, but it's been a long time. And so I think if we're winning a game, trying to play a game tomorrow or next week, you want the players that I think are most capable of effectively executing Berhalter's game plan. Though I would love to see Gio Reyna get that start and see what he can do. There's a big difference between what I would like to see as a fan versus what Greg Berhalter needs to do as a coach to get the best yeah. out of his team. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of one 
big thing for me that I think uh, you are correct on, and I have forgotten the second point. So I'll throw it back to you while I try to remember what it was. <laughs> well, just think on um, just on form, right? Form both on the field and for mm-hmm. the national team. Pulisic is hot right now, so obviously Pulisic yeah. starts probably on the left. Jordan Morris was hot for the U.S. men's national team and has been on a hot streak um, for Seattle. At least he's had really good moments in the MLS's back tournament, right? So to me, like Pulisic and Jordan Morris are the two wide players right now, especially with Paul Ariola. Um, out injured right mm. so Jurena is not far away but I just wouldn't immediately start him I think that's I think that's not controversial and pretty straightforward to be honest mm-hmm. and to anticipate uh, some potential questions coming coming down the road uh, my second thing I was going to say was I did then spend some time watching some Y Scout footage of him to see what it is that I think he could maybe improve upon that would move him up in that in the estimation or maybe make his game all around better so that he is more readily considered and the biggest thing you mentioned some of the good performances where he's able to sort of turn and find a pass or play somebody in and everybody's going to remember that assist for Holland where he maybe could have shot but really wisely lays it off and those are good moments but in a lot of ways to me those are kind of few and far between and I think he really struggles Daryl this is probably not going to make any sense so I will do my best to explain it but I see him struggle when it comes to decision making while multitasking in transition moments which is to say when the ball is played in so technical I'm so excited it's basically when the ball is played into him and he has his back to the goal he's attacking and he has to sort of turn with the ball or turn quickly and play that ball forward that is where I see him play a ball straight to a defender or turn not usually into trouble but a lot of times he'll start to turn and then cut back and drop the ball off because he isn't quite ready to read that situation. And to me, that speaks to a lack of sort of consistent minutes at that level. He's not quite yet ready to be able to turn and play an inch-perfect through ball. He can do it occasionally, but not to the consistent level that is required. And it's that is the thing that I think he's only 17. Exactly. And so that's why I'm saying, I think, to really bring it home, there are those types of things that really remind me how young he is and how good his game is, but how there is still work to be done. And that is where I would feel more comfortable with him being an impact sub, being an occasional selection, but not yet a guaranteed member of that squad so that he yeah. still has that room to improve and can improve upon those performances. Just a tiny bit of patience, everybody, yeah. and, and he'll be there, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay, next question. Jeff Amelin, um, now that it's a little late for him to start a career with the U.S. men's national team, which MLS player is most likely to take the, quote, player Daryl Googles to see if he's American, unquote, crown from Diego Chara? Yeah, a quick, quick clarification for those who are new to the show or those who have forgotten. The background on this one is Diego Chara is a player that we both really enjoyed for very specific things he was doing and has been doing for Portland. Um, but we were aware that he could not represent the United States for any number of reasons. But it was still <laughs> a player that we would like maybe sort of goofily, maybe just like, are we sure, though, that those rules haven't changed? But we knew he couldn't, but we wished that he could. That's sort of where Diego Chara is for, I would say, for both of us, though. I think it is probably Daryl Yu who did more of the Googling. It was mostly after Chara had destroyed midfields in MLS yeah. playoffs. I was always mm-hmm. like, "Are we sure he can't? We can't get him to play for the US?" Because then he has like what two, maybe two or four caps for Colombia. Yeah. He was never sort of fully, um, fully involved in the Colombian team. And let me um, say there, yeah, to your point, the two criteria I had is that they basically aren't big enough to be getting consistent looks for their country for the t- like. So maybe they played once or twice, but that's been a while, or they haven't yet been capped and don't seem like they're going to. And they've been around for long enough that we think there's a chance they're close to citizenship that's the other thing (laughs) that is kind of um fundamental to this so my joke answer is darlington nagby (laughs) it's funny and it's sad (laughs) my real answer actually doesn't fit the criteria neither of these guys fit the criteria Mm -hmm. that you've set up but my first one was lucas zellerayen 
the uh, mm-hmm. Columbus Crew playmaker. 28, no caps for Argentina. But he's only been in the U.S. a few months and he spent uh, many, many more years in Mexico, right? I think he was closer to Mexican citizenship um, than he ever will be to, uh, to U.S. citizenship in time to have an international career. So Lucas Elrayen, but it would be very much hoping that something really dramatic had happened with his immigration situation. <laughs> um, one guy I'm genuinely interested in is Christian Caceres Jr., you know this guy? No. Um, so he's a 20-year-old midfielder who plays for New York Red Bulls. Um, he's Venezuelan. He has played for Venezuela's U-17s, Venezuela's U-20s. He is. He was sort of touted as the Tyler Adams replacement when Tyler Adams left. He's not the exact same type of player, but he's very high energy, uh, very up and down the field, maybe a bit more creative, right? Like he's got a couple of uh, couple more tricks than maybe uh, Pulis, uh, excuse me, Tyler Adams had. Uh, but Christian Caceres Jr. moved to New York Red Bulls to be with the youth teams and has been there ever since, right? So he might be eligible for a resident, permanent resident card or a citizenship at some point in the future, but he seems quite committed to the Venezuelan national team. Which I think is personally just very selfish. <laughs> uh, the other ones that I had, I thought maybe Stefan Fry would be on your list because I still don't know what his situation is entirely. I feel like he could get citizenship. Right, he could be yeah. eligible. I think he's even been called up to camp. I believe he has, but it was before twice. he was a citizen. But it was like with an eye towards him becoming yeah. a citizen. Well, to, for me, the the idea of Diego Chara has to be that it's not actually possible. <laughs> Sebastian Fry feels too possible. Uh, in that case, my answer would be Jesus Medina, uh, who looked very solid against Toronto for NYCFC. Twenty three years old, but has that one cap for Paraguay, so uh, cannot sort of switch over or anything like that. He is connected to Paraguay f- uh, for forever, but is Can a player you know, one who time is- switch. No, I think in order, I believe I'm correct in saying, at least last I read, that it was you have to have been eligible for the one-time switch yes. before you were 18 if you already have a cap for somebody else. Yes, you can't have a cap and then acquire another nationality and then switch, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Latif Blessing is another one that remains on my list, 23 That's years old, born in Ghana, but has not represented Ghana before, does have a green card, uh, so we, I don't know where he is in that process, but I would enjoy another very hardworking uh, central midfielder who could potentially play wide if we needed them to, uh, can score goals, to, can create goals, can, can do everything that Bob Bradley asks of him, so when Bob Bradley becomes the next U.S. men's national team manager down the road, they'll already have that relationship. That could happen, right? That you never know. That could happen. You never it's know. His blessing feels possible. Burhalter goes to RB Salzburg. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Bradley takes over. There we go. I actually feel like the obvious answer is Jimmy Chara. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good answer as well, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Taylor, next question. Ryan uh, I, I love Mark. that Diego Chara has a brother named Jimmy. Like, <laughs> you want to go, go Dave? You want to go Dave Chara? You had to go Jimmy? Fair enough. It's probably Jimmy, right? Yeah. Um, Ryan Mock mm-hmm. wants to know, what happens... If travel is restricted from the US to Europe or to CONCACAF countries, restricted by those countries, mm-hmm. getting a team of Euro-based players seems doable, but who coaches it? I'm assuming mm-hmm. that the, the overarching thing here is that this is for a US men's national team game. Yes. Right? So essentially, what if the US needs to play a game, but they're not allowed to travel to European or CONCACAF-based countries? I think the first thing that is important to note, as I understand it, is that that ban is on non-essential travel. So it's basically yes. you can't be a tourist from the United States and go to Europe and just expect to be let in. Even then, it's still possible. There just has to be special circumstances. You have to get special dispensation. But again, that is for uh, like basically non-essential, whereas I believe there are exceptions in place 
place for things specifically like athletics. Uh, there's one even for, I think, for Americans who are playing abroad and maybe come back in the offseason to the United States. Uh, the quote would be highly qualified third country workers if their employment is necessary from an economic perspective and the work cannot be done, uh, cannot be postponed or performed abroad. Obviously, Christian Pulisic or say, I guess Christian Pulisic doesn't apply because of England, but say Gio Reyna uh, cannot like work remotely uh, from the United States. So I think there would be that dispensation. And my assumption would be that for national team games, there is that same level of they yeah. are considered essential personnel for what they're doing. Yes, yeah, special um, circumstances or special exceptions are always made for yeah. sporting events, right? One, exactly. um, it's not a US-related example, but right now the UK um, has a 14-day quarantine for anyone entering the UK from Spain. Right. That's because Spain has had an uptick in coronavirus. So the UK has established a 14 day quarantine if you're entering from Spain. Right. Real Madrid um, have their second leg of the Champions League round of 16 game against Manchester City. They will soon be entering the UK. They will not be subject to the 14 day quarantine because they're there for special circumstances. I think I think. The same thing would happen, I think, if the U.S. um, was playing a friendly that had been organized um, somewhere in Europe. I'm pretty certain. I take your point. I just want to clarify. Is that game actually happening in Manchester? Because I I just assumed that was going to be those final games would be played in Portugal, where I think they're holding the rest of the tournament, and then it would proceed from there. No, I think it's my my understanding is it's quarterfinals onwards will be uh, centrally located in Portugal. But the second legs of those round of 16 games that were left over, if safe, will be played uh, in the the places where they were supposed to be played. And it might be different for different... um, organizations right and it it might just work that because that second leg is in england and england has a track record of safely staging uh soccer matches Mm -hmm. without fans during coronavirus that that second leg goes ahead yeah okay so they probably won't be doing it in the united states though that's fair to say probably not uh, (laughs) unless relevant sports has their way (laughs) they would put that game together they would put that game together in miami tomorrow if you ask them to Yes, they certainly would. They absolutely they, would. They would invent a vaccine to get it done. Um, but they can worry about that. We don't need to worry about uh, the United States not being able to play friendlies or even qualifiers or anything like that. Uh, the, the national team will always be allowed to travel and play those games. Uh, and I think the same thing yeah. goes for players playing abroad as well. And just to, uh, just to enter, so there's no way that this happens, mm-hmm. I don't think, right? The, definitely the U.S. would be allowed to travel. We would take our full squad. Everybody would be allowed to go. But the answer is Jesse Marsh, if it yeah, had to be. obviously. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, if, if that is the situation, then he also wouldn't be allowed to work. So he's got to do something. Just to, just to entertain Ryan's question. Yes. Before we move on, today's show is <laughs> sponsored by Roman. Mm-hmm. Roman is here to help you if you are dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction. Um, I mm-hmm. always like to note at the start, if you are dealing with erectile dysfunction, the key thing is to not be embarrassed. It happens. And you're lucky that you live in the 21st century where we have treatments for that. Yeah, I always the name of the company always makes me think of Roman Roy from Succession, who to some extent does have this issue and has to go to extreme lengths to deal with it. Uh, you don't need to go to those extreme lengths. Instead, you can utilize uh, our friends at Roman. Uh, you grab your phone or computer, you complete a free online visit. You'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if that doctor decides that Roman treatment is right for you, Roman's pharmacy will ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. 
Mm-hmm. And again, they offered us free four-day shipping. Daryl talked him down to two. Well done again, Daryl, for those negotiations. Yeah. Uh, well done, Roman. I for started at it... negative five. <laughs> I want it here before I even think about ordering it. <laughs> they assured you that time travel wasn't possible. You showed them the Bill and Ted movies. They still weren't biting. We settled on two-day shipping. <laughs> It's a very good negotiation. <laughs> How do people so, take advantage of this offer there, Taylor? So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping, as Daryl said, and negotiated. That's GetRoman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Thank you to Roman for sponsoring today's show. All right. Um, I think you've ooh. asked all the questions so far. I will jump in now and ask you one, Mr. Grove, right. from Kenneth Seiden. Uh, or Seiden. Which fringe or uncapped U.S. women's national team player made the best case in the NWSL Challenge Cup tournament for their future or near-term inclusion? So I've got to answer this from a place of honesty. I did not watch mm-hmm. every game or even close to every game at the Challenge Cup, right? I watched the ones we reviewed and a couple that I watched just for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so three players that stood out for various moments for me. I, I have a feeling we're going to have overlap. Okay, I'll go. I'll definitely go first then. Um, <laughs> Britt Eckerstrom in goal mm-hmm. for that performance for the Portland Thorns against the North Carolina Courage. Um, Ashley Sanchez, I think she didn't score, right? But she did have that scorpion assist, which was such a moment that it got everybody's attention. Mm-hmm. And I do know I saw some other clips of her really like running at people down that sort of attacking left wing spot. The only reason I don't think she really will be in the US Women's National Team squad in the near future is that we're just so stacked with talent in the, the front three positions, right? There's, yeah. not, there's not that much room for inclusion. Probably the most realistic name might be Megan Oyster. I looked into this. She already has a couple of caps. I was not familiar with her at all before this tournament. I was impressed every time I saw Megan Oyster play centre-back. All right. We have no, we have no overlap. I'm all surprised. Right. No overlap. Mm-hmm. New. Uh, <laughs> no overlap. Uh, my three that I had uh, were Christy Mewis of Houston. Uh, though she went out with injury, I still think she deserves to be in there. Uh, her passing impressed me from start to finish, fi- finish in this competition, but so too did her hard work, running, hard work rate. She can play in the middle with her sister. We could have a, a, a Mewis twosome. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Uh, Danny Colaprico is one who we both uh, we met. She was in our live show, and yeah. we've enjoyed what she's done for the Red Stars in the past. I didn't realize how good she could be and effective she could be as that number six. Um, she allows Julie Ertz to play as a center back for the Red Stars because she's so good in her defensive positioning. She's great in the tackle. She's great at disrupting build-up play and creating opportunities for Chicago. She's not quite as like much of a playmaker as maybe we might like when it comes to one of our, like, like our three midfielders, but I think Danny Colaprico uh, deserves additional looks. She's been in there before. And Jane Campbell is my other one, the Houston goalkeeper. Yeah. Three caps in total for the national team since 2017, but is ridiculously good at penalties. Uh, so we can always kind of rest assured that she's going to save like one out of three, one out of two. Uh, she's pretty decent with those, but then also just uh, did great throughout this tournament, was a reliable starter, reliable goalkeeper, and that's a thing you want. So that's another one I wouldn't mind seeing getting a a few caps here and there. I also wanted Andy Sullivan to be part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm always impressed when I see her, but then she got injured before the big game, right? So I don't, I, I honestly, I didn't see every Spirit game beforehand, so I don't know if she performed as she normally does. My guess is yes. Because every yes. time I see Andy Sullivan, I think, oh, there's a player. Yeah, I think I think I would agree that she did. I would say that she did from what I watched of her. And I think once you lose Andy Sullivan and Rose Lavelle to minute limitations, you lose a lot of that creativity. And I think it explains why Washington didn't go further in the competition. All this makes me think we genuinely need a U.S. Women's National Team B team. Yep. They're just We need not... a better name for it, but yes, I yes. agree. <laughs> yeah. What would you call it? 
I mean, that, isn't that a thing that like club teams do? Isn't there like elite and then silver, or like like uh, yeah. elite and classic, or something like that? That doesn't really make it that much better. But I mean, if England has gone the Premier League, the the Championship, and League One, I think we could probably <laughs> do something like that. Like, do you know what? You know, what I would call it if I was if I was US soccer, mm-hmm. and if I was the US Women's National Team, and I was feeling arrogant, I would call this B team the second best team in the world. Okay, <laughs> second goat. Second goat, yeah. Second current goat, yes. Okay, I like that. <laughs> but Jamie, I don't know so if they'll m- want to play for the goats, but yeah, you know. <laughs> there's so much talent that doesn't get mm-hmm. a chance at the US Women's National Team because there's so much talent on the US Women's National Team. Yep. That, or, or maybe it's just a case where we'd like to see Vlatko just experiment a bit more and just like maybe have a bit more of a rotation and give more players the opportunity to shine amongst the regular US Women's National Team players. Yes, like I agree with that in theory, but... At the end of the day, like that's that twenty-three player squad is usually so ridiculously stacked that you also understand why there aren't more fringe players who end up making that impact and end up making that squad. Because like Megan Klingenberg is one who I watched in this competition and thought like, oh yeah, she could still very much be a starter for the national team. It's just that Crystal Dunn is so very good and offers you so very many things that you got to find a way to get her in there. That's the position position you're going to go with. So sorry, Megan Klingenberg. All right, second goats it is. Um, yep. <laughs> speaking of naming teams, yeah. Joey Jadlowski has a great question, but also a question that gave me a headache because I couldn't mm-hmm. come up with a good answer. Here's Joey's question. It starts with a statement, a very accurate statement. There were two big team name announcements this, this week. Charlotte FC of Major League Soccer and the new NHL team, the Seattle Kraken. Mm-hmm. Am I right to tell you that Seattle Kraken was well-received? It seemed well-received to me. It's been well-received by me. I love that name. All right. Joey says, it seems that Major League Soccer has moved away from the traditional American naming conventions in favor of European names such as United, Inter, FC, and Sporting. Which naming convention do each of you personally prefer and why? Would it be better as a business why? strategy for MLS to embrace its Americanness, or is it better to blend in with Europe? Oh, it's the eternal question, Taylor, and I don't know the answer. It is. I think my answer is a blend of, of, of both things. But to take the last part first, would it be better as a business strategy for MLS to embrace its Americanness or to blend in with Europe? I do think it is better to try to blend in with the global standard. Because okay. I think with the sort of understanding or the way American players are currently viewed, and obviously that is still changing, but the United States is still a like, oh, American football teams, and like like you still get the the Guardian, I think it was only a couple seasons ago, did a MLS preview that was just fake names. Like, like there still is the, a little bit of that stigma, and I think if you make your team name something so absurd and out there, I think it's not necessarily the best idea. What I would like to see is a blend that sort of reflects some of the naming conventions but applies them to American uh, teams. So, for example, if you look at some of the teams in Russia, you have Lokomotiv, you have Spartak Moscow. Spartak Moscow is named after Spartacus. Lokomotiv is named because of the connection to the Railway uh, Workers Union. Same thing with Arsenal. Arsenal named, I think, because it was a munitions factory that initially employed all the players. And I think if you can reflect those sort of specific connections. Uh, one that comes to mind for me from an American perspective is like the Bethlehem Steel. I don't have yeah. like they're not they're not the Steelers. Even then, I wouldn't mind that. But there is that connection that I think makes it unique. And if it were Bethlehem Steel, like. SC, I think all all the better. I like an SC in there. Uh, the other one that I came up with because I couldn't think of another city that would work for, but like the Baltimore locomotive, like you can do that too. It doesn't have to be locomotive. You don't have to make them suddenly <laughs> Russian, but you could still take ideas of that and 
and apply it. It doesn't have to be the Baltimore trains or anything like that. I think you can sort of find a happy medium. That's where my answer is. I think I'm with you. What what I've just realized is I like American names where they're not um, mascot oriented. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So well Seattle, Seattle Kraken wouldn't work as a soccer team name because it is a bit too much like, um, we'll have a big Kraken as the mascot and that'll yeah, be exactly. the whole thing, right? But maybe just something related to um, re- related to the city. Even Seattle Sounders kind of works. I assume that they're named after Seattle Sound, right? The body mm-hmm. of water. Isn't that how that works? Um, and I always felt like yeah. Seattle worked because it's a it's obviously an old name, right? It's like I remember like Sounders, Timbers, Whitecaps, uh, Montreal Impact. Those are all names from the past that just em- entered Major League Soccer. And it felt okay that way. But it also, what they have in common is they are somewhat related to something that's going on and they're not just some crazy mascot. Yeah, I think I would, I would, now that you mentioned it, like I would say the Timbers in that conversation, the yeah. earthquakes, regrettably, in there as well. <laughs> like, yeah, I think there are, there are ones that work. Even like Montreal Impact, I think is, is a unique and interesting name and yeah. I have no problem with but it, it. But it but wasn't I, just invented in 2012, no. you know what I mean? That name goes back to the 80s, I believe. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So to Joey's question, like, yes, I would much prefer to see some diversity at this point. I was, to be totally honest, kind of bummed that it was Charlotte FC. I thought maybe they'd do something yeah. else different or to be Charlotte City. FC or even just some sort of variation uh, and I would have liked to see that because I think just city name FC is fine but I think it doesn't quite give you a unique branding slogan a unique idea or you're not bringing anything unique to the table well here's here's an interesting thing I thought I was comparing Charlotte FC which I don't think launched with a particular it's not offensive it's not bad but it's not like a really strong brand in my eyes I don't know if maybe it's because they launched during coronavirus and there's only so much they can do but compare that to LAFC Mm-hmm. which it really is just Los Angeles Football Club, right? But they branded as LAFC. But there's something about the logo and the stuff they did with the hats and the the whole launch just really felt like, even though it's just, just four simple letters, it really felt like a strong brand. And I can't quite put my finger on exactly why, but it feels like because it was it was thought through from top to bottom. Do you remember the show Sports Night? Vaguely, yeah. This is going to relate to what it was. And there's a whole thing, there's a whole episode where they're trying to decide, like, who's the greatest athlete of the millennium, uh, because I think it was 1999. Uh, And there's this huge debate, and they're all, like, have these esoteric ideas, and there's debates on this player and this player. And in the end, I think the person in charge is like, so Muhammad Ali? We're just going to say Muhammad Ali, right? That's what we're doing. (laughs) And that is a little bit how that feels whenever you end up with FC. It's like, oh, it could be this, it could be that, we've got this. Uh, Let's just do Charlotte FC. It's fine. And, (laughs) And I say that to say I totally agree with you that LAFC, despite having that convention, I would say, like, yeah, I have no problem with that because that it's just such a brand it's such a and it does seem maybe because it's a little bit in defiance of the la galaxy to say like we are los angeles football club the football club of los angeles like it feels sort of counter it feels a little bit in your face already and so for that reason i like it as well i think if it feels as though it's been really really thought about and agreed upon i'm good with it if it feels like a lot of stuff has been thought about and you went with what was the easiest then you're sort of uh going with fc generically Something tells me that the LAFC brand was thought up like in totality. They didn't decide on FC and then work backwards. Whereas I think a lot of other teams, they decide on the mascot type name and then everything works backwards from there. Right. I do know. I do know their initial name was going to be definitely not Chivas still. And then they changed <laughs> to LAFC. DNCS. Yes. <laughs> oh, DNCS. Oh, you knew that story. Oh, my yeah. mistake. Of course you knew oh, that yeah, story. It was everywhere. My bad. Yeah, it was everywhere. <laughs> uh, so here's, here's, okay. Here's the thing I'm coming down on then. Um, 
we don't like it if it's if it's too mascot heavy like the kraken wouldn't work for mm. mls um or the wizards that kind of didn't work for mls right um we don't or like for it, the nba in my opinion we don't like it if it's too simple if it's mm-hmm. just sticking fc on the end of the city name i think what i've come down on is i quite like things that are related to the city as you mentioned but are either like geographically specific things or abstract concept kind of things maybe even historical things like uh revolution i quite like new england revolution Mm -hmm. as a name and it obviously has a very specific relationship to what happened in new england with the revolutionary war i also like philadelphia union which launched in 2010 just thinking that yeah and it's not quite united but it's not um it's not like the philadelphia um snakes that don't get stepped on it's the philadelphia union it's an abstract abstract concept and actually i look back through the mls expansion teams and 2010 philadelphia union was the last team to launch with a non-european style name and a non-name that didn't already Mm -hmm. exist like montreal impact so it's it's probably the best we ever got at doing that stuff and then we pivoted away from it yeah that's probably the one to aim for i do think they would have been great as like philadelphia 76 fc uh, or sc uh but obviously the 76ers right. already exist so i think but union is a version is, of that right exactly and yeah. i think it makes a lot of sense and i think it's exactly what we're talking about you're right that it's it is reflective of the city or the history of the culture of that city but simultaneously isn't just like ah united they were united in the colonies whatever yeah and it's not yeah. the, the snake treaders yeah. either the philadelphia uh, bitey snakes yeah, exactly. I mean, I am all in on the Bitey Snakes. That would be fine with me. <laughs> and other teams have done a good job of this. They're not MLS teams, but Forward Madison. Like, mm-hmm. Forward is, as I understand it, just a concept, right? But I like it. Yeah. Oakland Roots, I feel like, is a really good That's name. That's a great name. Mm-hmm. And there's, a lot, so there's a lot of teams that have managed to split the difference and not be mascot heavy. Or When I say mascot heavy, I'm sort of saying that old school American thing that the Guardian would make fun of, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me think of... Uh, cheerleaders uh, and pom-poms you know what i'm saying Um, and not just copying a european name just because we couldn't think of anything else the other very obvious one i should have thrown out racing louisville is a genius name and i love that name for their new nwsl team i think that is the exact type of thing we're talking about as well again reflective of horse racing but then also louisville i like it and it connects to the european naming conventions as well oh i assumed it was just a copy of like a spanish or argentinian naming convention Mm -hmm. it's to do with horse racing happening in louisville my guess would be it's it's a combination of the two. Okay. Is that it's like meant to be reflective of European naming conventions and South American naming conventions, but then also, yes, there are actual horse races here and that's what we're famous for. So it's not rathing. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> what did you think of Louisville Proof? I like that name as well. Yeah, I I was not against that. I feel like not everybody was on board. Yeah, you're all cynics. That's what I say. <laughs> but again, it's much better than the Louisville bourbon bottles, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I mean, the bo- the bottlers would already have a negative connotation. The we don't need that. Yeah, they lose every game in the 90th minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's Josh- in our name. We can't not do it. <laughs> Josh Richards. Josh mm. Richards wants to know, what is the best centre-back pairing in U.S. men's national team history? What a great question. Thanks, Josh. D- did you do the thing where you looked back on it and forgot? Like, oh, yeah, those two were really good together. I kind of forgot about that. I went with my first instinct, and I'm really confident about it. And I'm willing to be wrong, but I'm pretty confident that what I've got is the right answer. I want to know what that answer is, Mr. Grove. It's Marcelo Balboa and Alexi Lalas. I have the same thing as my number one. Do you really? Why so then? Why why did you go for that? Because I think 
It was actually the last one that occurred to me because I was focused more on like 2002 and since then. And looking at some of those center back partnerships, they are good, but there are also moments of like, yeah, I'm not sure. Like on Yewu and Demerit, the 2009 Confederations Cup final. Like I remember being very confident in them, but then as like the next season, the year after, less so. And I think the same goes for, say, 2002, Eddie Pope is amazing. And that is my second nomination is Eddie Pope and whomever he was partnered with. But I don't know if that was necessarily the partnership aspect that we're looking for. Whereas Lalas and Balboa felt like a par- partnership. It felt like two very good players who also were almost better because they had that strong relationship and that made them perform at an even higher level, in my opinion. So, yeah, I see them as two players who complement each other really well. That's so, the better way of putting it. Thank you. Lalas is the uh, win-the-ball guy, right? He would step out, win headers, win tackles. Uh, Marcelo Balboa would be a little bit behind him, almost like sweep in. But also, Balboa was a bit more of the ball player. He could carry the ball out and sort of pick a pass out and make something happen. Not mm. that Lalas couldn't pass, but Balboa was a better passer. And these are, you know, these are guys that played at high level. Mm. Like Lalas played in Serie A. People, people kind of forget that, I think. But on top of that, you've got to factor in the idea that because of what US soccer did yep. from 92 to 94, these guys played game after game after game after game after game after game together as a centre-back pairing and really just had it down. It was, yeah. it was about reps, essentially. It's about complementary partners getting reps together for two whole years before the 94 World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Because if you put you know, Eddie Pope and Tony Sana or Anyewu and Demerit together and had them play 40 games in a year, I think they would be pretty tight as a unit, probably more so than they would be playing eight games together every year. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the main reason for my answer mm-hmm. is just the number of reps and the fact they were complementary to begin with. All right. I am good with that answer. Okay. I feel like I've got such a good answer that you've got nothing else to say. That is correct. I do (laughs) have a lovely transition into today's sponsor, which is Manscaped, by saying that it probably also does help that those two center backs both had sort of iconic styling that, that they stand out that much more. The long hair ponytail that Balboa still rocks, obviously Lala's with the goatee and long hair. But if, say, they were okay with that hair but not okay with ear hair or nose hair or chest hair or back hair or hair below the belt, all of those things could be handled by uh, Manscaped. I mean, they're both, they're both in at least their late 40s now, right? So these mm-hmm. may be things they're having to think about. That is true. <laughs> So if anybody out there, um, former U.S. men's national team centre-backs or not, um, would like to tidy up their body grooming, pretty much any part of the body a Manscaped has got covered right now, Manscaped has got you covered, especially if you don't want to be covered in hair. So the, the Lawnmower 3.0, um, as we've mentioned before, um, is waterproof. It's chargeable, so you can use it without the cord, so it's cordless. Um, you can take care of things down there below the belt, or you can take care of things above the belt so mm-hmm. you can make sure that everything um, is nice and smooth if that's the way you like it we also uh, have a question coming up about Ayo Akinola, who could represent the United States could also represent Canada uh, and the good news for him is that if he chooses to represent Canada uh, Manscaped has launched in Canada so he can still utilize those products uh, while living in Toronto and potentially playing for Canada he's still covered there as well that's good news. That's good news for both our Canadian listeners as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, other Manscaped products include the Weed Whacker, which will take care of your nose hair, your ear hair, any other hard-to-reach hair. Yes. I can't yeah. think of any I'm other gl- I'm glad they didn't name the, the. I'm glad they didn't name the lawnmower the Weed Whacker. That would have had a different context and I wouldn't have been so inclined to use it. Same, 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 same. <laughs> if you want to get 20% off plus free shipping, you can use the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. 
Mm-hmm. That's code TSS20 uh, for 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And again, that code is TSS20. Thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode and for helping keep Marcelo Balboa and Alexi Lalas well-groomed, <laughs> we assume. Next question comes from <laughs> Phil Doucette. Uh, why isn't France's League One... By the way, if we don't hear from Lalas, I'm going to be furious. Why isn't France's League One a more popular destination for rising U.S. and Canadian players? The bit of research I did mm-hmm. indicates that League One has a rule that you can only have a maximum of four non-EU players um, in the matchday squad. Maybe yeah. it might be like five on your books total and four uh, in your matchday squad. So there's yeah. a real limit on non-European Union players. And you just wouldn't waste that on an unproven American or a non-high-profile American um, it's more likely to go to, you know, a Brazilian or an Argentinian mm-hmm. or or someone of that ilk, right? You tend right. to use your non-EU spot, spots on established players. We have right. had Americans in the league, right? Mm-hmm. Alejandro Bedoya played for Nantes. Uh, Carlos Bocanegra played for Rennes. Tim Weyer was at PSG and now at Lille, but he obviously has French citizenship as well. So that's a bit of a, he's got a bit of a loophole there. Mm-hmm. Um so my guess is just that it's the there's the non-EU player limit and essentially Americans aren't high profile enough uh, to to use on those spots. They take Pulisic, right? They take Pulisic right now somewhere. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't take an up-and-coming Pulisic, cause, assuming that he only had US citizenship, because they wouldn't be able to uh, factor him in. Exactly, exactly. And then the other thing, since you are correct at everything you've said, and that pretty much answers it, the only other thing I wanted to add, I was not uh, familiar with before today the Cotunu Agreement, which is essentially a partnership agreement between the European Union and the Africa, Caribbean, Pacific group, which essentially allows certain countries to not count against re- uh, restrictions as we're talking about, which is why there are so many African players in Ligue 1, is because African players, with the exception of, I think, Egypt, do not count as foreign players so they can still be in the squad you could have four or five africans in your match day squad and still have three brazilians and you would be fine so does that only apply to france or does that apply to all of the european union uh, I believe it only applies to France. I think okay. like certain certain leagues have certain exceptions. I think it is commonly understood as like former French territories I can uh, you can then go play, but I think it's even broader than that. But I do think it applies to then say Haiti. I think you can be Haitian and go play in league uh, and you don't count against that foreign player restriction. So that would mean then if you're a French team and you're deciding where to spend your scouting dollars, mm-hmm. um, if you're looking for under the radar talent, you would send it to those. Is it Katunu? Um, yes, Katunu Treaty countries rather C-O-T-O-N-O-U. than C O T O N O U. So Katunu, maybe uh, you would yeah. spend it on those countries that are in that agreement rather than on the United States. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I think there's also as well. I, I think I always fall back to this. There's also the question of pipeline, right? If suddenly, just people like in France realized or had a realization that there's there's talent to be had somewhere, and suddenly Paxton Pomacal and Reggie Cannon and a bunch of other players go there you could suddenly open up a pipeline and it just starts happening because there are guys at that level who might be worth spending a non-EU slot on if you need a really good attacking right back and probably don't want to pay too much money for him. Yeah, and and I think that's probably when you look at some of the smaller French teams as well, that does represent sort of a bargain and a smart move. It's just then you've got to identify those scouting networks and get them in early enough that they're not costing you $14 they're costing you $4 million. Yeah, Um, okay. I feel that's pretty well answered. I do as well. Should we go to the next question? I hope Phil Dissette is happy. Yes, please. (laughs) 
Uh, Wyatt Carter. Uh, after a strong group stage from Toronto FC striker Ayo Akinola, the aforementioned, in the MLS's back tournament and a history of scoring goals for the USMNT youth system, is it likely we see him get the call up to the US men's national team senior or first team within the next year? I would say it's more likely he plays for the U23s. Yep. And my source on this is Greg Bearhalter. That's a very good source. So you guys <laughs> talked about this and you chatted it up and he told you the truth? Not exactly. I saw a quote from him. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they're were, they were actually asking Bearhalter about Akinola, especially because he's played for US youth teams, but he's still eligible to play for Canada and to play for Nigeria as well. Um, Bearhalter essentially likened Akinola likened his situation to Serginho Dest, right? In that he's been in the system already. He's a part of that team, the U17 and U20 team. um, And we consider him part of our program. And what that means most likely, says Berhalter, next stage for him would be the U23s, the Olympic team, and then potentially the senior national team. These are things that hopefully progress as he continues to perform at a high level. Mm. Um, But yeah, with all those, we talked about this at the top of the show, right? With all those split rosters that are going to be happening with U23 qualifying, which is going to be happening at some point, I think still in Guadalajara, um, there's a chance that Akinola makes that squad. Um, But I mean, this sort of goes back to the uh, don't rush them into the first team question, right? It shouldn't be just because Akinola scores a hat trick at the MLS's back tournament. I know he scored five goals total. That doesn't mean you just throw him straight into the senior US men's national team. No, no, and I'm sure that that's not even what Wyatt is necessarily suggesting. It's more the question of like, probably it's a combination of dual national, so could play elsewhere, and the lack of striking options that we seem to have in the U.S. pool. It probably does then make us wonder like, should we get this guy before anything else can happen? Should he be in that like starting team so that we like he knows he's there? And I would say to that, if that is the concern, I do feel confident that Greg Berhalter is in communication with a lot of these players, and I think part of that is because of him his MLS roots that maybe in a way that we don't always have that confidence when it comes to foreign based players that could play for the United States. I think when it comes to MLS, I do think there is a rich vein of communication between all players who could potentially represent the United States, and I think you're absolutely right, then Daryl, that. If he's playing for the Olympic team, that doesn't mean that, like, oh, no, we haven't capped him. He's not good enough. It doesn't mean, like, oh, he's going to leave. It means that he has been sort of properly communicated with so he understands where he is and understands the role that he can play for that team. And we said this before with other players. To some extent, I would rather him, and I as a player would rather be starting for a team that's trying to qualify for a major competition where I could be a central figure and get a lot of minutes and potentially be a key performer versus maybe I'll get 10 minutes in a friendly, maybe I'll get 10 minutes in a qualifier, but I might also not play at all and end up sitting on the bench. You're talking about U23s versus senior team. Exactly, yeah. What if we're talking Canadian national team versus U23s like what what if like he's ahead he's farther ahead on the Canadian depth chart than he is on the US depth chart and Canada offering the chance to play to do a one-time switch and play in a World Cup qualifier would you how would you feel about the US then sort of rushing him into our first team to try and capture him uh, the fan in me says, yeah, do that. <laughs> like, get as many people as we can so we don't have to worry about it. But I think it's also the case that, like, 
Uh, like Jonathan Gonzalez, we were both really upset about, and we both were pretty frustrated by. And I think maybe that doesn't even apply because that situation was sort of a ball being dropped. But if there's a situation in which, say, Serginho Dest demanded, I want to start every single game, otherwise I'm going to go play for the Netherlands, I wouldn't be so bummed if they said, like, all right, fine, we're not willing to make you that guarantee. We're not really willing to commit that to you. Nor would I sort of want that responsibility of, like, promising Ayo Akinola he's going to play for us, he plays one game, and then it's like, all right, well, you're stuck here. Yeah. Like have fun. That is also pretty negative. So no, I think if that was if that was sort of the decision of we're offering you Olympic qualifying, they're offering you senior team, you're going to start every game and potentially play in a World Cup. Yeah, I wouldn't really feel sad if he chose Canada in that situation. And I also wouldn't really feel like the United States messed up to any degree. I feel the exact same way. I feel like if he's been part of the programs and you make clear where he stands in regards to your program and you have communication with him, and I've seen a quote from Akinola that Bearhalter has spoken to him um, at the MLS's back tournament, right? They just had a brief conversation just so, you know, everybody knows everybody's in each other's thoughts. So once all that background work has been done, when it comes down to it, I think that's enough and you shouldn't be promoting people ahead of where their talent dictates just in order Mm -hmm. to cap tie them unless they are some like Leo Messi generational talent, right? Then that's maybe a different conversation. But Ayo Akinola, I think, could be a fine, fine striker. And I've liked what I've seen at the MLS's back tournament. Um, but it, I don't think like we're suddenly missing out on the next Leo Messi if we let Akinola go to Canada. No, because and I think that's a smart point to make, Daryl, with Lionel Messi, is that there are certain players where there is that, like, you are clearly going to be a world-class player. You are clearly... Probably Lionel Messi, when he's like coming through and is 18 or 19 years old, would playing for the United States would be one of the better players. Like It makes sense to get him in there, but it doesn't make sense to do it for fear of we might miss out on this player because then you're sort of showing there isn't a system. Yeah. You're showing there isn't a, this is the pipeline, this is the route you go through. Yeah, it's, we, We're not we, going to let you we jump We do the negotiate with terrorists. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're, you're opening up that, that uh, Pandora's box, that box of worms that maybe in this situation it's justified, but maybe down the road there's a 16-year-old who's got dual citizenship and we're not really sure. Let's just do it. Let's just make sure it happens. Yeah. And it is sort of a got to catch them all approach that doesn't indicate a unified approach. <laughs> the Pokemon national team approach. Yeah, it's not, yes. not the way to go. No. <laughs> you ready for the next question? I think so. Drew Trammell. Drew in Trammell. That, I've thought a lot about this question. <laughs> I have as well. Drew Trammell says, if I'm a relatively wealthy U.S. men's national team fan that wants to see U.S. players regularly playing on top club teams and be legitimate World Cup contenders over the next 50 years, and I have, let's say, $1 to $2 million to invest in the development of top-level players, what would be, A, the one to two most impactful items and B, the best return on investment to hopefully create a self-sustaining model. Mm-hmm. I So we've met Drew, right? We mm-hmm. definitely have met Drew at least twice in Chicago. Um, I've got a feeling he, the if is doesn't even need to be in this sentence. I think he might be serious. I mean, if so... I feel like, like Drew, I should say, from all my research, and I've done an extensive amount to prepare for this uh, question, what I have heard, like especially with Germany, after they reboot, a thing that was done that I think was really wise is directly investing into independent podcasts. <laughs> that seems to have been the number one way that Germany got yeah. to where they are. There was a whole chapter by- on that in Das Reboot, right? Yeah, I, you might. It's it's in a certain edition that you might not be able to find, but we promise you it's real. Uh, but yes, I think statistically <laughs> that is the way to do it. By Taylor. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a study commissioned by TTSS LLC. <laughs> What's this now? 
Uh, yeah. All right. So we're, we're, we're taking this as what could be done. Uh, one to two most impactful items. And maybe this is a realistic question. Okay. Yeah. With one to two million dollars. Do you want me to mm-hmm. go first or do you want to go first? I feel like we're both nervous to, uh, to, I will be to put Drew's money where our mouths are. <laughs> I will be honest up front and say, like, I, I don't really have a very good answer. And I think part of that is rooted in this is such a, like a question I've never really thought about that it was hard to get my head around. But also in thinking about it, and I think we kind of came to this conclusion together, one to two million, despite me very happily taking that amount of money and feeling like, I mean, it would certainly an amount of money that I don't think I'll ever have in my lifetime. It's still not that much money when it comes to what Drew's stated objectives would be. Yeah, so I think... The mo- to be the most impactful, which is A, the best return on investment to create a self-sustaining model, which is B, needs to come true, right? So yep. this needs to mm-hmm. be $1 to $2 million of seed money that at least keeps keeps uh, keeps things happening in perpetuity, right? Rather yeah, we're, not going, the, we're not going the Uber model of we'll just keep fundraising and eventually <laughs> somehow profit. All right, do you want to hear my pitch? Sure. I think if Drew does have $1 to $2 million to invest, um, an area that's definitely underlooked and underexploited in the United States talent system is scouting where U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer Mm -hmm. aren't scouting, by which I mean scouting Hispanic leagues for talented young players. So I would invest money in scouts going and watching Hispanic leagues in the United States and looking for talented young players who just basically aren't in the traditional, like uh, what you think of as like suburban, you know what I mean? Mm. Like uh, American youth soccer uh, clubs. And then that becomes a feeder to, you know, the MLS Development Academy teams and all that. Um, I think you could put money into a scouting system and simultaneously put money into a talent agency that would then represent those players that you find. Because that's what it has to be, right? Because we don't have the situation in which you can develop a player, get them in with a team, and then when Schalke come in and buy them, you're getting some percentage of that. Not legally, right? There's some third-party ownership stuff happening there. Yeah, Exactly. So, like, there's that, but then also where are we with uh training compensation player solidarity all that stuff i honestly don't know it's right. still so that's, up in the air. that's where that's where i sort of struggled in, with that one is the idea that like yeah you could set up a talent identification system but to some extent unless you have the agency behind it and i agree with you there it is just like yep yeah, we've got this really great player you want him <laughs> like like it's 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 i don't really know how you monetize that um but i think you're on the right track there daryl where i was with it is almost an agency slash immigration law firm uh that if you i've said this before and i'm sure there are reasons why this is a necessity but i still feel like it could be a very useful thing is to have a firm that are set up to handle things like changes in immigration policy. If, say, there were a, like, never mind, we're not letting in anybody from the United States into Europe because things have gotten so bad, can you find a way around that? Are there legal loopholes? Can you register Johan Cruyff as farm equipment to get him into Spain? <laughs> like, like, if you have a firm that d- is set up to do that and is set up to sort of streamline that, like, oh, okay, you have an ancestor from this country. Well, they have very, like, generous rules regarding getting your citizenship there, getting a passport from there. We can help. Like, if you have a way of doing that, then I think you become a go-to source for players who do want that move, who do need that sort of level of exposure or do need a, oh, this an is, easier way into Europe. This is completely separate to my idea then, right? This is just that you are uh, uh, an immigration law firm that just essentially helps talented Americans get to Europe. I mean, maybe, but I think also it's something where if you do develop a sort of player that has fallen through the cracks or not been looked at by U.S. soccer, you are then having a connection to like other clubs and other ways of getting them into other leagues around the world oh, that then gets them into a better position to be developed and have connections that will then uh, benefit the United States down the road. 
All right. Oh, I want to include one piece of evidence, just in case anyone doubts that there's talent in Hispanic leagues that's being overlooked. Um, it's really if you worth doubt noting. that you're wrong, but sure, go ahead. Yeah. That's my argument. Um, I remember hearing this. It was a Grant Wall interview with Landon Donovan on Football with Grant Wall. Um, and Donovan made sure to mention that when he was a kid, he was connected to Cal Heat, right, which is the club team he played for. But he also spent a lot of time playing in Hispanic leagues and basically said that's where he learned a lot. And Clint mm-hmm. Dempsey did the exact same thing. He yep. played in Hispanic leagues in Texas, but then also got connected with the Dallas Texans. And it just made yep. me think, I'm not saying that all those leagues are full of Donovan and Dempsey level talents, but if that's where their best development happened, then there's definitely some high level talent in there. that just never intersects with US soccer or major league soccer or USL or anything else. I think it's slowly getting better, but I still think there's a lot of talent that just does not get, um, does not get moved into the, you know, official club structure. So there are definitely cash games that happen in Richmond, yeah. between, like in the Hispanic leagues. Yeah, I, I have been not invited to play in them. <laughs> um, I have turned down that invitation. Have you really? Nice. I have heard that they can be very good, but then also the competitiveness and the money at stake can lead to the not best of play. Yeah, uh, but these are adults, right? Yeah, exactly. But I do then wonder, I wonder if Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey ever played in cash games as like 15 and 16-year-olds, and I'm guessing the answer is yes, and I want to hear those stories. Ooh. Yeah, because neither of them grew up wealthy, right? So they uh-uh. could have used the money. <laughs> I think Landon Donovan, I've, I've, I think once, maybe it was in Grant's book, so we're making it a fully Grant Wall uh, answer here. I think he said he grew up American poor, which is to say he had running water. Got it. Yeah. That is my answer to that. So yeah, I think <laughs> they probably did. And I want to hear about those experiences because I'm guessing they were intense. So you in on my idea then? Scouting system. Um, yeah. that's also a talent agency that finds uh, talent in Hispanic leagues and connects them to either U.S. soccer clubs or with our in-house law firm, we get mm-hmm. them over to uh, to Europe. The in-house yeah. law firm honestly may even be necessary within the United States because you might be finding like DACA kids and anyone else mm-hmm. with sort of unorthodox immigration situations, which yeah. depending on you know who, who the administration is can be easier or harder to, to then make your way in the world. And as, as soul-crushing as it is, anytime you get a thing streamlined like or, ju- or just make it standardized, it's going to be that much easier and you become the reliable source for that. So if you're the one who knows how to get a person with a Dutch great-grandparent a, a Dutch passport, then everybody who has that is going to come to you and you kind of build it that way. So that's where the self-sustaining aspect comes in. I do feel a little bit like Mac and Dennis from Always Sunny trying to explain how a self-sustaining economy works. So before <laughs> we get fully exposed, should we just move on? Except I'll say one final thing. We joked at the top Please. about Drew investing his money in the Total Soccer Show. I do know that Drew um, supports a lot of our advertisers. So I think he's already doing that. Just maybe not to the tune of one to two million dollars. Yeah. Which I feel is personally selfish. <laughs> okay, before we move on, Taylor, today's mm-hmm. show is sponsored by The Athletic's other podcasts. They're all ganging up on us. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. No. <laughs> but if, if it does, we'll throw down. I'm not afraid. I'm kind of afraid, though, because they've got some good shows. They do have some uh, Yes, most of our listeners are, are, I think, in the United States. Our, our, our data would back that up, which means they probably have also local teams, local uh, like 
shows they want to listen to or local teams they care more about uh, than, say, a national audience, in which case, if you're a local advertiser, you could utilize The Athletic to sort of reach those specific markets. And not just through soccer, right? There are the other big, big sports in the United States. The Athletic has a lot of team-specific podcasts. I believe you mentioned the uh, 76ers earlier. There's a 76ers mm-hmm. basketball podcast that you could yeah. sponsor, for example. For more information and to advertise on those shows, you go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. That's theathletic.com slash podcast ads. The link will be in the show notes if you're interested in advertising on The Athletic. And I think if you want to go the Ryan Bailey route, it is theathletic.com slash podcast ads, I think is what he went with in the end. What? Something wrong with him? Uh, he, he just, I think, hadn't, hadn't read the... the the copy ahead of time and was confused by podcast ads oh, it, as one word. Because it's all one word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> bless that man. Bless that man. Bless that man indeed. And love to his mother. And Let's... bless everyone who's in the scouting network. Oh, Should yes. we talk about that for a moment? Yeah, some updates from the Total Shock Show Scouting Network. I'm mm-hmm. looking down the list and it's got lots of Americans involved. It does. Let's start with Jim Brochard scouting Jonathan Klinsman, the 23-year-old American goalkeeper for St. Gallen. Interesting. In Switzerland. All right. Jim's report is thus. The world's most powerful telescope is said to be the 30-meter telescope in Hawaii, but if you turned it towards Jonathan Klinsman's career, you may not be able to distinguish anything happening. Uh, his middle name should be In Uniform Did Not Play, as he continues to warm uh, the bench for a, a team, St. Gallen in Switzerland, so small that said telescope would shrug its shoulders and walk away. Oof. Jim also confirms in this scouting report that this is his way of saying he's ready for a new prospect, request St. Pauli midfielder Kevin Lankford, uh, and adds that we should be calling them prospects as opposed to scoutees jim is probably correct on that front oh since he's correct we'll let him take st pauli midfielder kevin langford how about that all right yeah there we go jim confirmation um jonathan klinsman on the bench at st gallen i wonder what Mm -hmm. landon donovan thinks of that tom gaffney is scouting james sands 20 year old defensive midfielder or center back for NYCFC. I know Sands has been having a good tournament. Um, Tom says, Sands started as a pair in as part of a defensive midfield pair in a 4-2-3-1 in NYCFC's 1-0 win over Inter Miami, but then he dropped behind the centre-backs to quarterback New York's build-up when the ball was recovered deep in their own half. He was like also that. tasked with pressuring Miami's attack up the middle before it crossed midfield and even ranged down the wings on some occasions. He did well to win the ball back regularly and maintain possession even when surrounded by multiple defenders there are also lots of james sands highlights videos doing the rounds on twitter from this mls's back tournament he's been doing really really nicely uh we're gonna have joe lowry on later in the week to talk about the mls's back tournament that has already happened and maybe look ahead to some of the games as well i might ask him where james sands is in his estimation in the three national teams that we have sort of set up in our minds yeah that's a good idea it's a very good all right uh, but until then, I should talk about Todd Brannon, who's scouting Cameron Carter-Vickers, the 22-year-old American center back, on loan at Luton Town from Tottenham. We don't know how long that loan will be. Uh, with a 3-2 win over Blackburn on the final match day of the season, CCV and Luton Town have clawed their way out of the relegation zone and secured a spot in the championship next season. Well done to them. CCV has received a lot of praise from manager Nathan Jones, who also managed him at Stoke City during his loan spell there, and it is believed that Luton Town will make a push to sign CCV over the summer with his contract set to expire with Tottenham. Okay, so that might explain CCV's future then. Yeah, Mm -hmm. free transfer, maybe a bit of compensation fee to Spurs, and then Luton Town get get themselves a new centre-back. I think I'm okay with that. I mean, it means permanent minutes. It's not, you know, quite Tottenham level, but... uh, 
beggars and choosers and whatnot. Yeah, I, th- I think a permanent home for CTV might be the way to go. Yep. Even if it Agreed. is in, in Luton, which is not, <laughs> not the world's greatest town. Um, Brad, he can travel outside if he wants to go somewhere. <laughs> Brad Wilgus is scouting Grenier Jesus, Jesus, the 18-year-old Brazilian midfielder for Real Madrid. Brad says, in a move that all but assures Kai Havertz leaving Bayer, um, Rainier is apparently set to be loaned from Madrid to Leverkusen next season. As a lifelong fan of Leverkusen for three months now, Brad notes that Kai leaving is a bummer, but Leverkusen will now have a football manager wunderkind trio of Paulinho, Moussa Diaby and Rainier behind whoever lines up at striker. All right. I, I like it, and I like Brad's... Uh... Uh, admission of being a Leverkusen fan for three months. Well done, Brad. Lifelong uh, fan Jeff for three months. Yup. Jeff and Sam Huffman scouting Mukwele Akele, the 23-year-old American attacker for Villarreal for now. Mukwele's time at Villarreal appears to be over. His contract expired on June 30th, so I guess not even now, uh, and he will continue with the, and will not continue with the team. He had a slow rise in the Villarreal system, but is now 23 and had not become a regular starter for the B team, let alone the first team. Here's hoping Mukwele finds a better match in potentially Scandinavia or Liga Mekis or USL or MLS. It might be great to have him back uh, in Minnesota with Minnesota United. I would like to see that. Yeah, I think that'd be I good. would be fine with that. Patrick I'd be like to see him. He's kind of one of those ghost players, right? Yes. Uh, Josh Gatt was one of those who for the longest <laughs> time we like, kept hearing about but never actually saw. Yes. McCullough Kelly is sort of that as well. Patrick Delaney is scouting Aaron Connolly, the 20-year-old Irish forward for Brighton. Season wrap-up, says Patrick. Aaron hmm. ended the season scoring the winning goal in a 2-1 win over Burnley. He showed his pace and power to running behind Burnley's backline and fought off the much larger centre-back to then slot it in the far corner from a tight angle. That was Aaron's third goal of his first Premier League season, racking up 24 appearances. Not bad, young Mr. Aaron Connolly. Agreed. I always enjoy when Ireland have a decent squad and there's always a chance they're going to go to a tournament because their fans are so lovely. It does seem like things are looking up for, uh, for Ireland fans. They've got Aaron Connolly, they've got Michael Obafemi, they've got two very young strikers who are both capable of scoring goals in the Premier League. That's more than can be said of them for a while. Plus that 48-team World Cup is going to help, I think. That certainly will not hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good to point, Daryl Grove. Thank you to everybody for sending in <laughs> scouting reports. This might be the last you hear of me for a little while, I think, right? I've been doing the math. I'm just realized I'm not going to be on the show for at least a week, is my guess. Does that track with you, Taylor? Oh, wow. Yeah, it does. Do you want to explain why? Yeah, so I started the long-awaited radiation treatment that got pushed back. I finally started it on Tuesday. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. I've got another one Thursday. And then next week, it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And um, I don't know if you saw Chernobyl, but radiation can make you feel a little bit queasy. So that's how that's how I'm feeling right now. And probably it'll be a bit worse next week. So I think I'm going to essentially be off to recover. Yeah. And I think that is uh, totally fair and totally understandable because I'm hoping it's a bit more targeted, (laughs) the radiation, than the (laughs) what do they call them? Human robots in Chernobyl. Yeah. Uh, Or bio robots, I think it was. I'm, I'm hoping it's not quite that level. I would also like to thank the American healthcare system for making this just such an easy and simple process for Daryl Grove. I don't hate it at all. It has not been. I'll tell you what, the hospital has been very, very good in terms Mm -hmm. of working with me. The health insurance industry has not. So that's, but that's pretty much where American healthcare is, right? Hospitals good, health insurance not so good. For the most part, I think. (laughs) Yeah. It depends on your hospital, I suppose. Yeah, mm-hmm. my hospital has yeah. been very, very good. So yeah, um, but either way, we're happy you're getting treatment. We're happy that you. We're happy that you have the time to sort of relax. I've told you this before, Daryl, because uh, relax is the wrong word. It's recover. And I would say this: like I cannot handle being nauseated. I really, it's like my least favorite feeling in the world. It's why when I'm hungover, I'm a full-on baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unless we're 
uh, in a press conference with Sunu Gulati and I have to hold it together for like an hour, in which case I can deal with it. But aside <laughs> from that one specific instance, uh, it is not my favorite thing. I cannot imagine the feeling of being nauseated for an entire time, nor can I imagine the feeling of being nauseated and having to read a bunch and research a bunch and watch a bunch of games. That doesn't seem very fun either. Yeah, that's. I'm not a fan of being nauseated either. No one likes it, mm-hmm. right? No one likes it. So yeah, that's why um, it's worth it. It's worth the trade-off because we're going to zap some tumors away. Um, People who are really good at the Dizzy Bat Challenge like it. That's the only one that I can think of that comes to mind. They do. It's like doing that all day, every day, isn't it? Um, so yeah. But yeah, I'll be taking a little yes. bit of time off and that's the reason why. But the show will be in very good hands with Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Oh, okay. Cool. I, I was assuming that would be like, it'll be in fine hands with Taylor Rockwell. I'll take very good. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I just wanted to give you some confidence going into it. <laughs> you can tell I have it. <laughs> I will close by saying, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. And listeners, thank you for listening. And the Total Soccer Show will talk to you again very soon. It's your birthday the day before, isn't it? It is. I kind of forgot about that. (laughs) I really just had that same thought. I was like, huh. That's not up on me.